Section 11 of the Underground Railroad, Part 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. The Underground Railroad, Part 4, by William Still. Section 11. Arrival from Kent County, Maryland, 1858. Asbury Irwin, Ephraim Ennis, and Lydia Ann Johns. The party whose narratives are here given brought grave charges against a backsliding member of the Society of Friends, a renegade Quaker. Doubtless rare instances may be found where men of the Quaker persuasion, immigrating from free and settling in slave states and among slaveholders, have deserted their freedom-loving principles and, led captive by the force of bad examples, have linked hands with the oppressor against the oppressed. It is probable, however, that this is the only case that may turn up in these records to the disgrace of this body of Christians in whom dwelt in such a signal degree large sympathy for the slave and the fleeing bondman. Many fugitives were indebted to friends who aided them in a quiet way, not allowing their left hand to know what their right hand did, and the result was that the Underground Railroad operations were always pretty safe and prosperous where the line of travel led through Quaker settlements. We can speak with great confidence on this point, especially with regard to Pennsylvania, where a goodly number might be named, if necessary, whose hearts, houses, horses, and money were always found ready and willing to assist the fugitive from the prison house. It is with no little regret that we feel that truth requires us to connect the so-called owner of Asbury, Ephraim, and Lydia with the Quakers. Asbury was first examined, and his story ran substantially thus. I run away because I was used bad. Three years ago I was knocked dead with an axe by my master. The blood ran out of my head as if it had been poured out of a tumbler. You can see the mark plain enough. Look here, with his fingers on the spot. I left Millington at the head of Chester in Kent County, Maryland, where I had been held by a farmer who called himself Michael Newbold. He was originally from Mount Holly, New Jersey, but had been living in Maryland over twenty years. He was called a Hickory Quaker, and he had a real Quaker for a wife. Before he was in Maryland five years, he bought slaves, became a regular slaveholder, got to drinking and racing horses, and was very bad, treated all hands bad, his wife too, so that she had to leave him and go to Philadelphia to her kinsfolks. It was because he was so bad we all had to leave, etc. While Asbury's story appeared truthful and simple, a portion of it was too shocking to morality and damaging to humanity to be inserted in these pages. Asbury was about forty years of age, a man of dark hue, size and height about mediocrity, and mental ability quite above the average. Ephraim was a fellow-servant and companion of Asbury. He was a man of superior physical strength, and from all outward appearance he possessed qualities susceptible of ready improvement. He not only spoke of Newbold in terms of strong condemnation, 
but of slaveholders and slavery everywhere. The lessons he had learned gave him ample opportunity to speak from experience and from what he had observed in the daily practice of slaveholders. Consequently, with his ordinary gifts, it was impossible for him to utter his earnest feelings without making a deep impression. Lydia also fled from Michael Newbold. She was a young married woman, only twenty-two years of age, of a chestnut color and a pleasant countenance. Her flight for liberty cost her her husband, as she was obliged to leave him behind. What understanding was entered into them prior to her departure we failed to note at the time. It was very clear that she had decided never to wear the yoke again. Arrival from Washington, 1858, Josephine Robinson Many reasons were given by Josephine for leaving the sunny South. She had a mistress but was not satisfied with her, hadn't a particle of love for her. She was all the time fussing and scolding and never could be satisfied. She was very well off and owned thirteen or fourteen head of slaves. She was a member of the Methodist Church, was stingy and very mean towards her slaves. Josephine, having lived with her all her life, professed to have a thorough knowledge of her ways and manners and seemed disposed to speak truthfully of her. The name of her mistress was Eliza Hamilton and she lived in Washington. Josephine had fully thought over the matter of her rights, so much so that she was prompted to escape. So hard did she feel her lot to be that she was compelled to resign her children, uncle and aunt, to the cruel mercy of slavery. What became of the little ones, David, Ogden, and Isaiah, is a mystery. Arrival from Cecil County, 1858. Robert Johns and his wife, Sue Ann. Fortunately, in this instance, man and wife succeeded in making their way out of slavery together. Robert was a man of small stature and the farthest shade from white. In appearance and intellect, he represented the ordinary Maryland slave, raised on a farm surrounded with no refining influences or sympathy. He stated that a man by the name of William Cassie had claimed the right to his labor and that he had been kept in bondage on his farm. For a year or more before setting out for freedom, Robert had watched his master pretty closely and came to the conclusion that he was a monstrous, blustery kind of man, one of the old-time fellows, very hard and rash, not fit to own a dog. He owned twelve slaves. Robert resolved that he would make one less in a short while. He laid the matter before his wife, Sue, who was said to be the property of Susan Flinthrew, wife of John Flinthrew of Cecil County, Maryland. Sue, having suffered severely, first from one and then another, sometimes from floggings and at other times from hunger, and again from not being half-clothed in cold weather, was prepared to consider any scheme that looked in the direction of speedy deliverance. The way that they were to travel and the various points of danger to be passed on the road were fully considered, but Robert and Sue were united and agreed that they should not fare much worse than they had fared should they be captured and carried back. In this state of mind, as in the case of thousands of others, they set out for a free state and in due time reached Pennsylvania and the Vigilance Committee to whom they made known the facts 
here recorded, and received aid and comfort in return. Sue was a young woman of twenty-three, of a brown color, and somewhat under medium size. End of section 11